Hello and welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. My name's Brian, your host, and this week's episode, we're chatting to the wonderful Jack Gill. He's a stunt coordinator, second unit director, stuntman, director and writer. He's worked on the majority of movies that you've seen from Venom uh, to Bad Boys to Fast and the Furious and also he started his career as uh, John Schneider's stunt double in Dukes of Hazard, and he was a stunt coordinator on Knight Rider. So he actually drove the kit car on every single episode. So sit back, relax, and listen to our interview with the great man himself, the legend that is Jack Gill. And as always, our episode is brought to you by the wonderful people at Prop Store of London. So visit their website at propstore.com. Dot com and check out everything they have. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Jack Gill. Welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. An action-packed podcast where we'll discuss all things entertainment. You're the answer to are we alone in the universe? Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. We're joined today on the podcast uh, by a uh, a great man. Many would say he is a legend, and I would have to agree. It's Jack Gill, who is a stunt coordinator, second unit director, stuntman, director, writer, and a legend. Jack, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Sure, I'm glad to be here. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> and then, um, you, you know, you've done a lot in your life, and in all fairness, you probably could do an interview for about six hours for, from all the things that you've 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 done in your career. But don't worry, it's not going to be six hours. I will try and keep it as condensed as possible, uh, in the hopes that maybe in the future you might bring out a book. I mean, is that a possibility in the future? Because you've done near enough everything within the uh, stunt industry. Well, I mean, I've always thought about writing a book. The problem I have with it is just finding the time to sit down and put everything down. But I have been, over the years, writing little notes from shows of things that happened. And so, you know, maybe in the future that is an avenue that I'll go down. But right now I'm just so busy, I just don't have the time to sit down and do it. And what a book it would be when you have, have, have the time, of course. So let's get into what your job is. So, uh, you know, we all know what a stunt, stuntman does, but what does a stunt coordinator do? Well, a stunt coordinator, and, and that terminology has kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, gone by the wayside, is we've, we've kind of adapted a new terminology called action designer. And primarily because the stunt coordinator term is an older term, and that kind of was for when, you know, back in the old Western days when the director and the AD would say, go find me somebody who will fall off a horse or fall down the stairs, they would hire a stunt coordinator, which was usually one of just the horsebackers to go round up a bunch of, you know, cowboys to do it. And so we don't really coordinate people, and that's just the end of it. As an action designer, what we do is we come in from way before the movie ever starts, read the script, break it all down, figure out exactly what each and every character does in the movie, and then design the action around what they do compared to what their character has to do in the film. Because as you know you know well is that a lot of times some characters 
just are not supposed to be an action kind of design guy. I've done fights where you have a newspaper reporter and I've had the editor call me and say, hey, you know, I'm having a problem putting this fight together. It looks like he doesn't know how to fight. And I went, have you read the script? He's a newspaper reporter. So <laughs> you yeah. have to design the fight around the character. And that's got a lot to do with, you know, getting together with the actor and the director and saying, how do you want this to go? How do you want it pro to progress? And the great part about being an action designer is that you're in from so far ahead of filming process that you can design things to your liking and to the director's liking. And then you bring in the actor and you train that actor and you get his his or her feedback as well. So you're well integrated into the film before it even starts. And then once it starts as an action designer, you have to make sure that the crew is safe doing all of these stunts and antics. And that's a big part of our job as well, because, you know, in a big film like Fast and Furious, we have three to four hundred people on the set at one time and you're crashing 25 to 30 cars and you've got to protect each and every person on that set, as well as making sure the actors all look as good as they can. So, you know, it's a it's a super tough job to think of that you've got to take all these things on. Um, because people's lives are at stake, but it's one that we've been doing for years. And over the years, it's just gotten bigger and better as we go on. But I have to say that the safety aspects of, you know, our job have become better because now we are incorporating the entire cast and crew to try and help us with keeping things safe. Whereas before, back in the olden days, you very rarely ask anybody for your help to try and design something. But in these days, we bring the entire crew in and say, if you can think of anything that you can think of that could go wrong, tell me now, because I want to figure <laughs> out how to get around it. And that's a great help. Yeah. And am I right in saying a second unit director on a movie as well uh, is someone that directs, you know, all the action sequences uh, that doesn't necessarily have, you know, the main cast in, in the actual movie? Yeah, I mean, the secondary director, and that's another terminology, the, the term has kind of gone by the wayside, is now, you know, uh, it's it's one of the things where, you know, second, you know, just to be, used to be a guy that went out and he shot a car that, you know, drove by a building, or he shot the placards of a name on a desk, and so um, now it's become action director, and so with the Directors Guild of America, we're trying to change that terminology so that you still have second or director terminology that does those things that I described previously, but an action director goes out and shoots everything that entire that encompasses an entire crew, you know, where you have, you know, a script supervisor, a DP, a first AD, an entire crew with, you know, stunt coordinators and stunt people, action designers and stunt people. And that person goes out and sometimes shoots more days than the first unit director does. I know on Troy, Simon Crane shot more days than the first unit director does. And in a lot of films we have done, you know, like on the Fast and Furious movies, we shoot just as many or more days than they shoot. So it's an all-encompassing, you know, job. And it's one that is, you know, hand-in-hand hand with the action designer. Yeah. I mean, going back to uh, when you started your career, um, what makes someone want to be a stuntman? How did you get into the business? Well, I got in, I, I was a motocross, um, a professional motocross racer, and I had won a couple of races in Florida, and my picture was in the local paper, and I was checking out of a hotel the next morning, and as I was checking out, you know, back then the papers sat right on the top of the desk, and this guy looked over my shoulder and saw it and said, hey, did you win all those races? And I said, yeah. 
And he goes, that's pretty cool. Do you think you could jump a motorcycle over a bunch of burning cars? <laughs> and I went, well, if I could pick the motorcycle and pick the ramp, how, how far does it have to be? And we talked about it and he, he said, come out to California, you know, in two weeks and we'll see what you can do. And that guy was Hal Needham and Hal Needham was doing a picture called Gator with Burt Reynolds down in Florida at the time. And it was just kismet that we met, but I then followed him out to a set years later and watched him shoot Hooper and we became friends and he's the one that eventually got me in the business and got me started and I never went back after that. So I came from being a motocross guy. And that was your very first stunt, was it, on that movie? It was on Hooper. I never really worked on Hooper. I just um, kind of met everybody. But when I came out to California, I got one day working on Gator and then I ended up doing this movie, um, jumping some motorcycles over, over some cars that nobody has ever seen. And I still haven't seen the movie and I don't even think it even came out, but it was something that Needham, they had given him and he's just kind of parlayed it and gave it to me and said, if you can work this thing out and jump this thing, you know, this motorcycle over these cars, come back and see me. So the best thing that Hal Needham ever did for me was he said, I'm not going to let you toss my name around and get you jobs easily. What I'm going to do is when you, you know, try and get in the business, if you have questions, come back and talk to me and I'll answer those questions and tell you, you know, how to operate, but I don't want you using my name to get in the door. And that's probably <laughs> the best thing that ever happened because I, I had to really fight for it. And there were times where I could call him up and say, Hey, this guy's, you know, a real pain in the ass. What should I do? And he said, you know, he'd give me little things that helped me get through the day. And that was great. And then two years later, he called me up and said, I heard you've been working on Dukes of Hazard and driving the General Lee and, and I hear you're a pretty good car guy. Do you want to come do Cannonball with me? And that's when we started working together. That's awesome. How hard is it to become a stuntman um, compared to, you know, back in the day? How hard is it to actually become a stuntman now, nowadays? Is it, is, is it changed well, much? It, it's, it's, it's changed quite a bit. I mean, it used to be they would just find the most athletic people and see if they could do all these different things. And sometimes horse packers would drive cars and they really didn't know what they were doing. That has changed drastically now in that everybody trains all the time. And if you're trying to become a new stunt person, you need to understand that there's a lot of training that goes in before you even step onto the set. And one of the reasons that happens is because of the safety aspects of it is that you know, our, our safety managers won't let us hire somebody that doesn't have a lot of training and a lot of background. And you only get that by either, you know, going to some of the stunt schools that are around or either, you know, working with people and not getting paid for working in the set, helping people build airbags or build boxes or help set up car stumps. And you're not getting paid for it. Yeah. But you have to be have to have a substantial background before you can actually take a chance on somebody. And usually we get people from professional backgrounds. Like we get a lot of guys from the Olympics yeah. that have come off gymnastics backgrounds. And we get a lot of guys, like when I do a skydiving sequence, we're usually using all the Red Bull skydivers. So, you know, it's changed drastically, but that's because of the safety aspects that have come into it. But uh, funny you mentioned Dukes of Hazard earlier on, because I was only chatting to John Snyder a few weeks past. And obviously a lot of fans of Dukes and of yourself will realize that you know you went to school together um and also you drove the general lee how did you get the job on dukes of hazard was it 
through John, or did you not know John was on the movie um, on the series when you got attached to him? Well, that's a that's a pretty interesting story. Is that when I left uh, Atlanta, Georgia, to go out to California and become a stuntman, John wanted to go with me. And John was three and a half years younger than I was, and his mother at the time said, no, you're way too young to go out to California. Um, Jack's going to have to go on his own. So we parted ways, and I went out to California and established myself as a stuntman, and then John called me up and said, hey, I heard about this show, this TV show called Dukes of Hazard." do you know anything about it? And I said, yeah, I, I heard about it. And he goes, well, I, I'm reading for it. I'm going to read for one of the leads on Dukes of Hazard." And I said, John, I heard they've got like 3000 people reading for this thing. <laughs> and he said, well, I'm reading for it. Can I, I'm going to come out to California. And he came out to California and got it. And the next thing I knew is, you know, he was doing Dukes of Hazard, and he made a ploy to get me to be his double. And this guy named Gary Baxley, who was working on the show said, I'd love to, you know, help you out. And Gary helped me out as well. And I ended up doubling John, you know, on the show for quite a long time. And John ended up being in my wedding. So we still have stayed friends throughout the years. And I go back every year to John's Bove's extravaganza, you know, in <laughs> Louisiana yeah. to help him out with that. So Dukes of Hazard was an integral part of my career. And I left Dukes of Hazard after doing, you know, five years on the show and went to do Night Rider for five years. So I stayed and did a lot of car stuff for a big part of my career. And, you know, that's kind of what molded me into doing Fast and Furious. What was it like jumping the General Lee? Because it's, it's not a small car. Um, <laughs> it's not. It's, it's, it's a beast beast of a car. What, what was it like the first time you jumped it? Well, the great part about that car was that, you know, it's a 69 Charger. We went between 68 and 69, and it was an all-steel-bodied car, so it hit the ground pretty good, and you had a lot of room in it, and so you could build the shocks up, you know, taller than normal, and, you know, you had a lot of headroom, so you'd have to worry about your head hitting the roll bar on the top, but it did bend a lot when you hit the other side, and I, you know, a lot of times they were trying in our first few years to straighten the car back up and we'd have to jump it again. And by the second and third jumps, I usually had a seesaw car and you're, you know, driving it in, trying to hit the ramp and you can feel the whole body kind of moving back and forth. So luckily, by the time we got to the third year, we didn't really try and jump a car twice uh, if it was been up as bad as it was before. But I really enjoyed the General Lee because it was a lot of fun to drive around. And when you got the big 440 engine in there, you could do a lot with it. It would throw dirt and a rooster tail behind the car like 15 feet. So it was a lot of fun. I've got to say, as as a child, I absolutely grew up on on Dukes of Hazard. I thought it was magical. And then when you revisit it and you see those magnificent jumps and then you see the car land and, yeah, you do see the car bend. And then I love it how they shoot to the next shot where it's it's just fine. It's just fantastic. Um, and then you move from Dukes. Oh, quickly, you've recently been working with John on Christmas cars as well, if I'm right in saying. Yes, that's true. A lot of the shows that John's doing out of his um, studio in Louisiana, uh, I've been helping him on. And, and there are a lot of fun because we're going back to do the same things we did on Dukes of Hazard, just, you know, upping the game a little bit and making it look interesting. But it's a lot of fun to do it, you know, kind of in our own environment with just John and I and his crew. So it's that's been a lot of fun. And, I, I you know, I have to say, too, that, you know, the General Lee was its own character and that every time we got in that car, 
you know, we treat it as if it was a character we were jumping into and you kind of talk to it all the time. Yeah. Not like Knight Rider and you talk to it, but you're always trying to say, you know, if I was doing a big jump, I'd always say, come on, General, get me through this. You know, like I jumped to General Lee through a barn and nobody had ever done that before. And it was a scary deal at the time. But, you know, it was one of the ones where I had already done probably 20 or 30 jumps before that. And we were the breaking ground to what you see to in today's world with all of the cars flying through the air. We were the first you know, people to really do it time and time again. And we kind of got that idea from Smokey and the Bandit. Um, so, you know, that was the very first big car jump on Smokey and the Bandit. And then Dukes of Hazard, we were doing at least one or two big car jumps a week, plus two or three big car turnovers every single week for five years. Are you helping him out at all? For the uh, stand on it, uh, the, you know the fan film he's 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 making at the mo- moment. Yeah, yeah, we're talking. You know, almost once a week we talk about different things and how to do it and what to do. And and that's the great part about being able with the internet is it's easy to look up videos of things that we've done in the past. You can download anything, and I could say, take a look at this. This is what we did on such and such a show, and we kind of mix and match different things with different things we want to do on John's show. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And then you went on to good old Knight Rider, another childhood, you know, love of mine. What was that like working on Knight Rider? Because, you know, again, as a child, I honestly thought that car was really driving by itself. But as you get older, you realise the tricks. And of course, it was you driving the car. How did you do all the stunts in the position you was in? (laughs) Well, I mean, when you're blind driving the car, we went through a lot of uh, different, you know, choices to try and see what worked best. And back then, you know, in that day and age, in the 80s, early 80s, you, you, you know, you had choices. You could put cameras out and you'd have to look at cameras while you're kind of laying down in the seat. But with cameras, you have no depth perception. So you can't really see how close and how fast you're getting to things. So that didn't really work because we had to be in close proximity to the actors all the time. Yeah. And so the, another you know thing we tried was making a, a, a way for me to strap myself underneath the car and lay prone completely underneath the car. But it was so hot and so close to the ground, you couldn't really see what you were doing there. So then we got together with the effects department and George Barris and said, is there a way to make the seat wider and then push the seat back so that all the audience sees is just maybe the front part of the seat and the the width of the seat with me being up inside the seat is hidden. And that's the way that we designed it is that we push the car, the seat back into the back seat. And so if you know where the B pillar on the Knight Rider car is, that's the big wide section that's right by the front window. That's where the seat was hidden behind. The, the width of the seat was hidden behind that B pillar and I moved the steering wheel and the, the accelerator pedal and brake pedal back to meet me and just put it down low, and that's how I drove. Now, you still didn't have great vision, but over the years, I got used to looking through this little piece of mesh fabric straight forward, and I could see to get to David and pick him up and drive out. And I even have a right-hand drive car when I could drive from the right-hand side, pick you know Michael Knight up, and he could get in the car and drive away. I mean, during the filming, because you was a stunt coordinator for the whole of Knight Rider, did David at any time try and do any stunts himself or did he just leave it completely up to you? 
No, I mean, David was a pretty good driver. And so a lot of times we would let him slide the car up to a stop and get out and, you know, run into what he had to do. A lot of actors can't handle that because you've got, you know, you've got curbs that you can't hit. The car he was driving was, you know, a really expensive computer car. And we designed it so that he could at least lock the brakes up and slide it sideways. And so most of the time that was him doing that. And he could also do a pretty good 180. So those kind of things, you know, we always did with David. And, and you know, a lot of times you can't do that with actors. In today's world, it's completely different in that we drive on top of the car. And I know that's kind of strange and hard to understand, but we put a pod cage device on top of the car with all the controls of the car. And then we put the real actor down inside the car with all the cameras on him. And we drive this right through traffic and bash it into things and slide it around corners. And it looks as if the actor is right in the mix of everything with the stunt person driving on top of the roof of the car. <laughs> Are you quite surprised in how uh, Knight Rider and Dukes of Hazard is still is still um, loved within the world? You know, the, the the fan base is absolutely unbelievable, especially for Knight, Knight Rider and Dukes. Uh, are, are, are you quite surprised at that? I am. And I still, you know, I go back to all the reunions as much as I can. And the reunions, even in today's world, they're getting bigger than they were, you know, 10 years ago. Of course. Um, you know, I talked to a guy, you know, in, in Las Vegas at their reunion, and he had brought his car all the way from South Africa and said he was going to bring it every year. And so, you know, the fan base has gotten much larger because the show is still on the air. And I think that's a great tribute to what we did back then, because, you know, there were a lot of action. The action in both those those epic series were huge compared to today's world. Nobody does the kind of stunts that we did back then every single week just because it would be too costly in today's world. I mean, to think that you're going to jump two big cars or three big cars every single week and turn over two or three cars every single week, I, I just I wish they'd go back to it, but I don't know that they ever will. Yeah. I mean, looking back from when you started in the industry to now, what has been the biggest change to how stunts are actually done? Because Well, I mean, I, I, go ahead. Yeah, because the thing is, back 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 in the day in the 70s and 80s, it was quite a, you know, a simple world as such. You know, now films they're becoming absolutely full of action uh, and and full of stunts. I mean, you look at the Fast and the Furious movies, you know, you're dropping, you know, tens and tens of cars out of buildings, which you would never have thought of back in the 80s. So what's the biggest challenge for you as a stunt coordinator and stuntman? Well, I think it's always going to get bigger and better. That's that's just, uh, you know, the way the movie industry wants. You can't settle for the same thing over and over again. And so I think it is going to be more exciting as each and every year goes by. And the great part about the action industry is that the audience is very savvy to when they see things that are fake and, you know, computer generated. Yeah. And so if they start to believe that you don't have a real person doing the action in the scene, they're not interested anymore because they don't feel like they're in that action sequence themselves. And that's what you need to do to keep the audience level up there is you need to make them feel like they're that character and they're doing exactly what they're doing in the movie. And so, you know, with the Fast and Furious movies, we like to keep things as real as we can and have CGI only help us when they desperately need to with backgrounds and with removing cables. But 
they have had this mantra since we did Fast and Furious 5 to keep things, everything's real, all the car work is real. And I think over the years, that's what's great about you know, our industry is that we're going to keep doing things as real as possible to keep the audience interested. And that's a great part about it. I, I love still being able to have sit in a, in a room with 25 to 30, you know, executives and them saying, I just don't think this is possible. And then two months later, proving them wrong, saying we were able to do this in the real world and prove that we can do something that you all said was impossible. And it's a def- so, it's it's a definite artwork. It really, really is, and it it, it shows in the Furious mo- movies on how you know real effects definitely work. I mean, I was chatting to Colin Chilvers, who you've worked with as well. You was the stunt coordinator on Moonwalker, and his view definitely was that we should be focusing more on practical uh, effects than CGI because it can take away from the film a bit. I mean, do you agree? Yes, completely. I agree. And, and Colin Chilvers, you know, he's a fantastic, you know, director, special effects guy. He started out as a special effects guy, and then Colin, you know, moved on in his career. and And I really enjoyed working with him. And, and it was one of those types of things where, you know, if in today's audience they're viewing, I've had fourteen year old kids sitting in front of me saying, "Oh, that's fake." I've, I could look at that. That's all fake. <laughs> yeah. And you know. Even though CGI is getting better and better, the minute you start to lose that, the audience walks out. And so, you know, when we sit, you know, in a room talking about how we're going to do things, the big change in today's world is that we storyboard everything. We actually draw pictures of, of not every single frame, but the important frames of every single action sequence. And then what we do is we pre-visit, which means we video everything. Everything is an animated of. Uh, you know, instance of what we're going to do. And we put it all together in the cuts that we think we're going to use. And then everybody comments and everybody makes suggestions and details because at this point, we're not spending a lot of money. The minute we get the previs done and the storyboards done, then we go out and shoot the whole thing. And by the time we've got this thing, you know, shot, we're continually cutting it three or four different ways to try and figure out what works best for the audience. We never did that in the past. You know, it was there was never storyboards, there was never previs, there was never multiple cuts of this. We just had a sequence that you shot, they cut it together one way and it was on the air or in the theaters that, you know, weekend. It would just it was pretty, you know, simple at in those times and now it's become a lot bigger process with a lot more people involved and I think it takes into account the audience's approval because now they don't just do two or three audience viewings, they do them all across the world to try and find out what they think, which cut works the best. And then you get the one that comes out. And so you're getting the best of the best. And I think that's really helpful. Yeah. Uh, let's Jack, let's talk about recognition and awards, because I know that you get the Taurus uh, World Stunt Award, which you have won personally many, which I've got to say, the actual award itself looks absolutely amazing uh, <laughs> with, 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 with the wings. But um, what on earth? Academy Awards, I mean, Oscars. Why aren't there any Oscars for stunt coordinators or for the stunt industry? Well, I think, you know, since it's been 29 years, there's definitely some kind of a big hold up at the academy and some group in there has decided they just don't want us to be part of it. And I don't really know the answer to why that is because I have gone down every single path that is imaginable to get a real 
you know, reason why from the academy, and they've given me every reason you can think of, and none of them hold water. Yeah. Um, we've we've even said, give us an award that's not televised, completely on a different <laughs> day, and they've said no to that. So I think somewhere inside the academy there is a, you know, a group that wants to keep us out, and I hope that they can see the light and see that you know an action category can only help them. And in these days where they have faltering numbers, they really need something to to bring these numbers up. And I think an action category could really do it. You know, it could get the viewing public back up to where they were before. Yeah, it's shocking because I read in a statement the the Academy spokesperson said stunt coordinators play an integral role in many movie productions and those at the top of their game uh, and craft are invited by their peers to become academy members we c- we continue to encourage them to grow within our membership do you know what from that it's like getting a membership to a golf club but not being able to play a round of golf exactly that's exactly you, what it is do you know i mean is this is this you know shared amongst you know, the stunt community? I mean, is there any, you know, thing that, you know, the public can do to put pressure on the academy? Or is it a case of it's it's their decision, they're saying no, and that's it? Well, I mean, they've said no for so long now that they can't really walk away from the fact that there has to be some problem within the academy that they don't want us in there. Because if it was only five years, I'd say, okay, yeah, five years, it takes a while for them to get used to us. But... 29 years, this is a long time to be discussing the same thing over and over and over. And so they know exactly what we do. They're aware of it. They just don't want us in there. And I think the only way to change that is to have worldwide, we can either protest, which I really don't want to do, but I think at some time it's going to happen because if we protest the Academy Awards, we're taking all the, uh, the publicity onto us as opposed to the people that get their one chance to you know, be out there in front of the Academy Awards and receive their award or nomination. And I don't want to take away from that. I want the Academy to do this on their own and to say, yes, we've finally seen the light and we think we need to have an action category. So far, they haven't done this. And you know, each year that the Academy Awards come around, I get easily 5,000 emails from worldwide <laughs> stunt people saying, we want to protest. Yeah. And that's the problem is I don't think we should do that, but I want the Academy to see the light. And I think if if your listeners and and can go out there and email the Academy, you know, you can there's Oscars. um, There's www.oscars.org that you can go to and just, you know, inundate them with emails saying we want to see an action category because, you know, it can only help them. And I I don't see the downside to it. I mean, I just, I just don't get it because don't get me wrong. You know, you've got categories there for makeup, um, you know, sound, editing, uh, costume, but you know, you guys put your, you know, life at risk every single day working on these movies. I mean, since 1980, I think uh, I read 40 uh, stunt performers have sadly lost their lives. Um, you know, you don't get that within the makeup department. You don't get that in cost costume. And I just think that, you know, what you do for the movies and TV is a massive part of what we see on screen. 
Another thing as well, you know, you get actors out there, for example, Henry Cavill that played Superman and he was in Mission Impossible. I just wanted your thoughts on what what he had said in in an interview not that long ago, that he doesn't believe in having stuntmen stunt double for him because it takes away from, you know, his character. I mean, what's your opinion on that? Well, I mean, you can say that as much as you want, but in reality, you know, actors are not replaceable. As much as I'd like to think that stunt people are not replaceable, they are. And that's one of the reasons that you take the risks that you take is that, you know, a movie company that's got $100 million invested in an actor is not going to let them do each and every stunt in the movie. And I don't care who you are, they just can't take that risk because if he even gets his lip cut, they can't shoot for a week. And if they can't shoot for a week, that's a lot of money. Well, look at Tom Cruise during that Mission Impossible movie where he broke his, was he, he broke his ankle when he was jumping? He broke, he broke his ankle, right. I mean, talking about injuries, you know, I've been told that you've broke quite, quite a few bones yourself. I mean, what's a list, list of injuries that you faced and how, how, how did you get them? Well, I mean, that's the thing about, you know, because I've been in the business so long is 99% of my injuries happened when I first got in the business, when it was still a rough and tumble type business with very little known about how to do things and we were breaking new ground. And so, if you got an injury, you worked through it and you worked, you got back to work as quickly as you could. And I remember, you know, I had broken my collarbone and broken a bunch of ribs and punctured a lung. And the like four days later, they had me riding a horse through a field. And I was saying, how am I going to ride? And he was going, you ride with one arm, just hold the reins <laughs> with one arm and your other arm you could have tied to your chest. Wow. So that kind of thing, they wouldn't even allow in today's business. But but I've broken my back twice and my neck once, and I've got a titanium plate in my neck with six screws in it, and I've broken my wrist, and I've got 23 broken bones and punctured lungs and cut a finger off and had to have it sewn back on. And, you know, things like that happened in the late 70s, early 80s because we were breaking new ground. And you, a lot of times you'd say, yeah, I'm going to jump a car through a barn, and nobody's ever done it before. What do you think we should do? And you'd say, well, here's my best guess. And that's all you could do. Nowadays, we've got video to support just about everything. And we've got ways to protect you a lot better than we had back then. So the business has gotten much safer. And I'm glad that we don't have the number of injuries that we had back in those days. Because, you know, you don't see stump people that say, yes, I've broken even more than five bones. Yeah. You don't even see it, see that anymore. And, you know, even if you get say, a broken arm on the set, that's a big deal in today's world. Um, so it's it has gotten much safer, and I really um, applaud the fact that we do have a lot of people you know, on the set these days that not only look after what we do, but look after every single crew member on the set as well, not just the stunt people. So it has um, gotten to be a more safer and a much better and relaxed set. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you, Jack, was uh, you was once president of uh, Stunts Unlimited uh, because I see their emblem absolutely everywhere when you uh, research stunts and stunt people and stunt coordinators. Who are Stunts Unlimited? Well, Stunts Unlimited was a group that started in 1969 by Hal Needham and you know two other stunt people, and they got together because they wanted to have the most elite stunt people in the world join this group because he said, once we put this group together, 
you're risking your life with other people and you want to be able to trust your life with these people in this group. So as the group grew and we've got almost 50 people in our Stunts Unlimited group now, you're trusting your life to these other stunt people. And that's what happens when you're out there and you're in a car doing 80 miles an hour, you know, bouncing into each other around buildings. You want to know that the guy next to you is somebody that you've worked with for the last 20 years and you know exactly what he's going to do or he or she, and you can trust the fact that they will risk their life with you. That's kind of where we are in today's world is that each and everything that you do is, you know, life ending. And when you're in a 5,000 pound car going through the city at 80 miles an hour, anything can happen and your life is at stake. So Stunts Unlimited is a group that says we want to bring people around it, but it's not just our members that we work with. It's it's a group that works with lots of other people in the in the world, and we know that we do a lot of research to find out what their background is, how long they've been in the business, and then we go around and talk to people they've worked with so that we know that when we get out there on the set, we know exactly who we're working with and what their background is, and can you trust them with your life? So basically, one big family. <laughs> it it is. It's yeah. one big. Fa- and one of the things I'd like to add about about the academy and something that makes a big difference is that the action designer, which used to be called the stunt coordinator, and that's what we're trying to get, you know, an academy award um, uh, Oscar for is that's the person that that stunt coordinator action designer is the only person on the crew that has people's lives in their hands. And he or she will tell an actor, if you stand in this spot, I want you to run to this spot and stop on the street. And cars will go by you at 80 to 100 miles an hour. And if you miss your mark by even two or three feet, you're going to die. Well, that's a tough position to put somebody in. But yet we do it each and every day. And that person does it without even a flinch. And the actors trust the action designer to say, if you're telling me to do this and whatever you're telling me to do, my life is in your hands. There is no other crew member, even the director, that does that. That's totally the action designer. I mean, even Vin Diesel uh, has commented in an interview saying it's long overdue with the Oscars. Um, So fingers crossed. I mean, they will see sense and uh, get that category in there. Uh, with everything you've done in your career, Jack, uh, which, what has been your proudest moment? Well, I mean, I think I think being able to see action sequence come to fruition when they tell you you couldn't get it done. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that on, on Fast and Furious 5, we drug a 9,000-pound vault behind two cars. That is an awesome and, scene. And in the meeting, they told us it couldn't be done, that the the, the vault was going to have to be CGI. Um, and I said, you know, to our second year director, was Spiro Rosados, can you know, let's try and do this real? And he went to Neil Moritz, who was our executive producer, and he said, all right, tell me if you can do it. I'll give you a week to test it. And if you can pull this off, I'm behind you 100%. And we ended up being able to do it for real. And that's something that when I first started, I was going, holy God, I just don't know that we can actually do this. But every every crew member got together and got behind it because we knew it was something that if we can pull this off, it's going to wow the audience. And that's what we wanted to do. And that's what I think we've done with each, each and every Fast and Furious is, is that's what you've got to do is do something that breaks new ground. And that's the great part about being an action designer is breaking new ground and proving that you can do things that people say is impossible. 
And what's next for you? What are you working on next? It's all up in the air now. I don't know. Course, Things yeah. have gotten canceled. We just don't even know what the business is going to be like. But I think it's going to get back to normal. It's all going to go back to the way it was. It's just going to take some time. And so you, I, can, I can't tell you right now what I'm going to go on to. It's just hard to even pick one because we, we have to decide on what can get up and running faster than the one before. And, you know, everybody's reaching for straws right now. So we hope it'll get up back up and running as quickly as possible. <laughs> Do you know what, Jack? It's been a pleasure speaking to you because when I was a kid, um, I, I always wanted to be a stuntman until I decided stupidly to put cushions down the stairs and dress in my Superman outfit. And then I broke my arm. Um, oh, no. that... <laughs> and then also I did a, um, a short film where we got trained how to uh, fight and we had sugar glass. And as the camera panned across into my direction, the person that I was choreographed with and ended up doing something that he shouldn't have, and I ended up spinning round and uh, breaking my nose. So um, uh. the stunt industry is definitely not for me. I'm slightly too fragile because I've got kids, so walking from one room to the next, it's it's like an obstacle course, trying to avoid <laughs> the uh, Lego. Uh, but it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Um, I can't wait for, for future projects. Uh, I mean, the work that you've done on... I mean, you've won the last recent award was for Venom, um, in 2019 and it, it just the work that you do I think is is often you know not not recognized as such by moviegoers um, and I think that they should recognize a lot more of what work is actually done within the industry and fingers crossed again as I said the Oscars I mean if we urge all the listeners to email the Oscars and just you know, ask nicely, don't demand, ask nicely, because it's always nice to get recognised in a nice way. Uh, and who knows? Uh, Jack, how, you're, how are you uh, filling your time during lockdown? Well, the great part about uh, being in lockdown here is that um, I have a big piece of property here. And so I've been riding my motorcycle every day up in the hills. I've got a motocross track here on my property. Wow. And, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of work at the house and updating the house and working on things. And But the fact that I have motorcycles here is a great deal. You know, keeps me in shape. I can go out there and ride around and just have a good time. And I've got mountains all around me. So that's the great part about this. I'm not stuck kind of in my house. But but it has been taxing in that fact that we can't go out to a restaurant at night and we can't go out and just do the things that we were so easily used to before. And I just hope that it gets back to the way it was pretty quickly. What are you? Are you on Twitter, Instagram? I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on, uh, I'll have to send you all that stuff as to because i don't have it with me right now but <laughs> yeah if you send it over i'll i'll put it on on the link below on uh spotify and itunes as well uh for everyone to uh check out as well jack thank you so much for the interview you look after yourself and all the best okay thank you i appreciate it been listening to be more super the podcast it was kind of a crazy fun experience i love the show guys you're awesome listen my whole family loves it man if you enjoyed this episode be sure to hit the subscribe button and share with your super friends